My first of four guests on the podcast were all native English speakers. So today we've got my first foreign guest, a uh, racing driver from Belgium, Stoffel van Dorn. I say uh, he's not a native English speaker, but I reckon that you speak better English than half of my friends back home in Ireland. Yeah, I think uh, I'll manage pretty well. It should yeah. be fine. How many languages do you speak? Um, actually, three. So I speak um, Dutch, which is my, my native language, my mother tongue, um, French and, and English. So, yeah. <laughs> Not bad. Yeah, I think uh, back in the UK and Ireland, you put us to shame. We don't really lo- learn languages from when we're a kid. So hopefully that's something that will change in time. Because yeah, you, I mean, you, you, you guys don't really have to know really learn a different language with English you go you go pretty far at the moment that's it I guess if you can get by with English then it makes us lazy and that's why we don't bother our ass learning it so um you're in your off season now um ready for the next year in uh, Formula E just taking a bit of downtime it's strange for you guys whenever you actually start in um, November so it kind of crosses over when the rest of us guys are relaxing in our winter off season you guys are already started so it must be a bit of a, a strange mentality that you have to adopt to start before Christmas even yeah definitely it's it's you know very different to to anything I've kind of done before um, you know the way the season runs uh, it's kind of the opposite season than than what I've always been used to you know uh, running from March till November whilst now um, I'm I'm literally starting in November running until uh, July more or less so yeah now we're on a, on a little bit of a of a summer break uh, we got the you know a couple of weeks off but still actually pretty busy with um, with a lot of testing um, because in the off season we're allowed to do about 20 to 25 days of testing. So um, it, it's keeping us busy. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's been, it's been very different than, than what I've been used to. So I'm actually enjoying to, to spend the summertime uh, a bit more free, let's say. I bet you're looking forward to it as well because it was a tough transition from, um, Formula One to then Formula E, but it was so nice to see you get the podium towards the end of the season. I bet that uh, made you relax a little bit and uh, felt at home then. Yeah, definitely. It's it, you know the, the two competitions, Formula One and Formula E, are completely different. And uh, it took a little bit of time in the beginning to to get used to that. Um, also, the team I was with HWA, um, which is now transitioning into into Mercedes, was uh, was completely new into the series. So basically, everyone. Um, came into it without any experience so it, it was it was not easy at, at the start we had you know quite a few problems to to run through but what was nice to see was the the progression that you know everyone everyone made and um, in the end I think uh, we've had some really good results we had a pole position in Hong Kong we had a podium in Rome as well and towards the end of the season we were kind of consistently running in in the points which uh, which uh, uh, you know, made us the best rookie team, let's say, at the at the end of the year. So I think we can we can be proud of that. We've uh, you know we've showed some some good results, uh, but obviously now going further, the target, um, you know, hopefully we can target a lot a lot better places. Let's say. Uh, the one thing I do know about your career is that adapting isn't a problem. It seems that everything you've done right through your career, you've always uh, arrived and almost won right away in the same in Formula E to get in the podium your first year. So going right back to whenever you started at Cardin, uh, right through, it seemed that you were always winning your first year. So whenever you started uh, first at Cardin, you were, you were very young, uh, six years old. And how did, you, how did you end up in four wins then? Because uh, you don't have a family background in, in motorsport, do you? Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, it started way back when, you know, I was probably four or five years old. 
um, when I actually got my first go-kart, um, which was through my dad, um, actually one of my dad's friends uh, who owned a go-kart track near where I was living in Belgium. Um, and, you know, he owned go-karts, so he just gave me, I think for my birthday at some point, gave me a little go-kart. Um, I was often just playing with that at home. Um, on we, you know, we had a tennis court, so I was playing or driving around on, on that place. Um, but then actually I got really into it when um, my dad uh, designed the restaurant of the go-kart track. So I was always kind of going with him, um, you know, when he was there for his work. And, and I think, yeah, the owner of the go-kart track just uh, um, put me in a go-kart during the time my, my dad was doing his job. So that's kind of how I, how, how I got my first taste of, of the racing. Um, and yeah, I remember doing a lot of different sports as well, um, next to go-karting, but I never really had the same passion for it as, a, as I had for racing. So uh, um, yeah, that was about six years old, I think, when I, when I started. Obviously, in the beginning, it's always always for fun, and and I guess like uh, like a lot of the athletes, they they just you know start with something because because it's what they enjoy doing, and um, yeah, that was the case the case for me as well. Um, I did that for you know for quite a few years um, at the local track in 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 Kortrijk, where, which is um, you know where I where I was born and where I grew up, um, and yeah, I spent a lot of years doing laps around 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 that circuit um, you know doing some local races um, winning a lot of the races as well but at the time we didn't really have a lot of a lot of money to kind of take it to the next step let's say um, to yeah to really go into into the proper competition um, so I actually started my uh, you know proper karting career a bit later I would say I would say 14 15. Um, so actually, yeah, a long time of indoor karting, about, uh, I think about, yeah, nine, eight, nine years uh, before actually moving on to like two-stroke go-karts um, because we, you know, didn't really have the funding. Then my dad man managed to, to get a couple of sponsors and, you know, that's when we, when we managed to actually start the proper go-karting um, when I, yeah, when I was a bit older. Yeah, funding is so tough in motorsport when... When we were kids, we were racing motocross, and that was hard with three brothers. But I always remember any kids that were doing karting, we knew that was even more expensive. And to fund that, that kind of been easy. So, like you said, that's why you were doing it for for fun for quite a few years before you started to take it more seriously competing. Then, so you're already then a teenager before you really began to compete. Uh, what level were were you racing at? Um, yeah, exactly, and and you know, I guess I was you know one of the lucky ones that. My dad had a, a couple of connections to to kind of um, get some sponsorship there, um, but um, yeah, I would say that the you know the proper competitions I did was um, was then the Belgian Championship and and the World Championship um, when I was uh, 16, 17 years old. Um, I managed to win the Belgian Championship in in the first year I I competed in it. Um, which was kind of unexpected because it was, you know, my first uh, my first year in at at that level um, with a lot of uh, Belgian racing drivers that actually had a lot of experience into the international races. So um, on paper, I I didn't really have a, a lot of chance against them, but um, yeah, uh, you know, we had a we had a really good year and won a lot of races. Uh, managed to win the Belgian championship. Um, so the next year. 
we uh, we managed to um, to put together a little international program. Um, I was 17 years old then, and um, yeah, we finished um, second in the world championship. So um, uh, yeah, that was kind of uh, my karting career uh, until until then, let's say. And how were you managing with, with school at that time then, with exams and everything? How many rounds were there? Uh, were you traveling outside of Europe as well? Yeah, we, we were actually traveling a lot with go-karting and, and um, the weeks I remember were, were pretty long um, at the international races because a lot of the races were in Italy, um, a lot of them in Spain as well. And yeah, the pra- I remember practicing already starting on, on a Wednesday before the race on, on Sunday. So. Um, it was not always easy to manage that with the, with the school to to get the permission actually to go out of school and then um, travel you know travel to races uh, but you know they were always quite helpful I think um, they you know they really allowed uh, uh, a lot of my stuff to do but even if I wasn't allowed I was still I was still going and anyways but um, yeah I always had to catch up on exams afterwards when when I got back and that was you know probably the, the hardest time to kind of combine everything when you're you know, doing your races and, and you need to combine um, you know, your, your, your motorsport career uh, together with your studies, let's say. So, but uh, yeah, I managed, I managed it and, and I'm also happy I, uh, I pursued that, that I, that I didn't stop school at a, yeah, at a, at a very young age, like, like actually many of the racing drivers do. I remember that feeling of going back to school after buzzing on a race weekend yeah. and just coming back down to reality yeah. and just having to sit down and look at the blackboard or whatever it was and trying to concentrate and all you were doing was doing laps in your head so yeah. uh, at that age you, you're just dreaming about what may be and just thinking about the next race weekend and then you got to go and do your schoolwork. so it's <laughs> such a contrast yeah exactly and then you got to catch up on everything as well so no it's definitely not easy and you're from the Flemish region yeah in Belgium so there can't have been too many other Carton drivers because Flemish region, I guess cycling would be a top sport. And um, were you the only Belgian driver then competing in the world championship? Um, I well, I I wasn't the only Belgian driver there. You know, definitely go karting. I I would I would say was not the most popular sport. Um, but there was actually a pretty decent group at the time of of Belgian racing drivers, um, racing. You know. At, at pretty high level as well in, into go-karts and you know some of them have have now gone into cars as well um, some of them have you know not had um, the same opportunities have uh, as as I've had in in racing and and you know kind of have have not gone any further than that um, but yeah I guess cycling definitely um, is uh, is is the main sport in Belgium together with uh, with football so I think it's important to to try and encourage the younger generation as well to to go into that direction. I'm sure though there were a few people uh, keeping an, an eye because whenever you start karting, winning your first year, and then uh, in 2010 you moved to single seater racing. Yeah. And you just went and won the championship in your first year as well. So that's what I can see looking through your whole career that whenever you arrived, you generally won. So that's uh, that's going to make you stand out. And, big part of the reason then why you've made it to the level that you have done yeah exactly and and um you know the transition from um, from go-karts into car cars actually was um you know for me quite a quite a quite a challenge as well because um you know my family did definitely didn't have the funding to to go and do cars 
but I was very lucky with a with a competition um, that was organized by the Belgian uh, Motorsport Federation RACB, um, which they went on a, on talent scouting actually. So um, I participated in that competition, went kind of through all the all the stages. Um, they were you know assessing driving techniques, uh, fitness, everything. Um, I was definitely the worst in fitness, <laughs> but but I was good in the driving part. Um, and yeah, I made it to the to that final, um, won that final as well um, against again a couple of more experienced guys. Um, but yeah, I kind of just went there with the mindset: look, I'm I'm just very happy to to have this opportunity to to finally drive a single seater car for once. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, I think it, it yeah, you know that that really made me or helped me having um, having a good result there as well because there was not really any pressure oh I have to win this or not I was just very grateful for for the opportunity I I had and uh, um, yeah I managed to to win the kind of scholarship so they were then funding all um, all of my uh, my you know first parts of, of single seaters let's say um, and yeah like you said in 2010 that was my first season in the F4 Eurocup 1.6 championship um, first year in, in, in cars and uh, we managed to win the championship as well so that was yeah a pretty surprising surprising uh, first season into into the cars yeah that in motorsport getting the funding at that stage is it's critical because if you don't have that there's no way that you're going to be able to fund it because um, you're too young and unless you come from uh, money let's say uh, you're not going to get that opportunity to, to come through so that's I think what is so important, I think it's getting more difficult for, for kids now, isn't it? I think we were fortunate enough, even I had a Red Bull Rookies program in the UK 15 years ago. And without that, I don't think I would, would have been able to pursue yeah. the career that I am. So these schemes is what keeps motorsport going, isn't it? Because otherwise you end up with guys maybe with money rather than the guys with, with the talent, which is what we want to see when we're tuning in on Sundays. Yeah, exactly. And, and oh, I feel very lucky that I've had the opportunity that the Belgian Federation was was behind me, and they you know they funded um, a lot of my my you know, first career stages in in cars um, because without them you know I would have never been able to even continue out of uh, out of go karts. Um, so yeah, obviously without them, their you know, my career would have looked very very different. Let's say. Were you still able to to live at home during those years? Whenever you were then competing, or you, I they, would, there wasn't any stipulations. Yeah, I was I was still living in Belgium um, all those years in in cars up until up until I I you know kind of got into into Formula One. Um, I was I was still well living um, in in Belgium with my parents um, at my mom's home. Um, I actually lived a bit in the UK as well. In between, um, I spent a lot of time in Japan at some point as well when I was racing in Japan. Um, so you know, actually spending time in Belgium, I wouldn't say that I that I spend a lot of time there because I was just traveling so much with uh, with all the racing, with all the different championships. Yeah, you just gotta you gotta go. Uh, you once you're winning, you gotta keep moving on. So it's funny when I whenever I do look through your career, the number of names that then pop up with guys that you were fighting for titles with. Then was it around two thousand twelve, two thousand thirteen? You were yeah. fighting with guys like Danny Kvyat, yeah, uh, Kevin Magnussen, yeah. So. Back then, 
there weren't names back then. Stuffle Van Dorn wasn't a name, but mm-hmm. it was pretty cool whenever you look back and you see, ah, there's two guys that then were racing in Formula One and were racing back then. So do you remember Paddock Life then? Did you know the other guys? Uh, because when you're, you're young, yeah. teams are generally a bit more friendly, aren't they? Yeah, definitely. And, and um, I think they were almost... Um, you know, t- two of the years like t- uh, 2012, 2013 were were definitely two two of the years with a lot of highlights in in my career. Um, I would say 2012, um, I was in the Formula Renault two liter championship, um, and uh, yeah, my biggest competitor that year was uh, Danny Kvyat, um, and yeah, we had a very intense intense championship. Actually, I remember it was uh, literally every race was almost. Uh, either me winning either him winning um, and we were kind of always first and second so um, it went all the way to the last race um, which I remember very well it was a very dramatic round actually Um, it was uh, it was in Barcelona I had a a, a terrible qualifying it was you know mixed conditions Um, we didn't really make the good tire choices and and I found myself uh, I think around 20th on the grid um, from, I don't know, th- we had, at the time there were 34 competitors, so I was about 20th, um, and uh, Daniel qualified on pole, so, um, you know, I thought my championship chances were, were basically gone, um, until, until the race came, and it was again, it rained before the race, um, sun came out, very, you know, tricky conditions to start with and, and everyone had to make a decision whether to go with slicks or whether to go with, with rain tires. And, um, you know, we decided to go with slicks. It was still extremely wet at the start. Uh, Kvyat went on, on the wet tires. Um, and yeah, in the first lap, um, I gained, I think, 13 positions or something on lap one. Um, and then on lap two, I had contact with another another car, so I had to retire from the race. Whilst Kvyat was miles ahead, he was leading the race. Um, yeah, was nearly had the whole straight um, in in front um, until the track started to dry, and he suddenly started to drop back a little bit more. People on slick started to to catch him up, and and I think he had to finish kind of in the top four or something to 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 win a championship and. Um, yeah, he didn't. Uh, he didn't hold on. The champ, you know, the the tires went down. They overheated. People on slicks overtook him, and and in the end, I won the championship. Um, maybe not the way I, I I wanted to win it, but it was a very tense moment. And and actually, for me, I would say twenty twelve, um, when I won the championship, was a a career deciding moment um, because the prize money that came with that was was half a million euro, which which. I uh, then obviously had to use for the next step, but without that, um, I'm sure, you know, we wouldn't have a talk here today, I, I would say. Wow, that is a pivotal moment. Uh, I imagined there must have been a lot riding on that, but the fact there was half a million prize money, um, then to move forward in motorsport, that's what you need. At that time, uh, Kvyat was being backed by Red Bull, so perhaps yeah. it wasn't maybe just as important to him as what it would be to, to you. So. I think uh, fair to say then the, the right man won the title. I can imagine <laughs> those standing back in the pit box watching something that's out of your control must be just yeah uh, heart wrenching. Yeah, it, it was it was terrible because you know I was I retired on lap two, I then got on the back of a scooter back to the paddock and then I was literally just watching the screens with uh, with my whole team and um, 
yeah, it was, uh, it was a very stressful, stressful time, but also so difficult because it's not in your control at all. So you're just, you're just standing there and, and yeah, see what is, <laughs> what is happening. Uh, did you use any of that prize money then to go on and get smashed that night and get everybody hammered? <laughs> well, I wish I could have used it, but unfortunately, um, no, that money didn't come straight to me. That that was something we had to we had to use for the next season um, in in World Series by Renault. But uh, yeah, I definitely had a had a really good party after that. <laughs> yeah, I think you deserve it. But a moment like that, knowing everything that, that's riding on it. Uh, then the, the following season. Uh, we spoke about 2013 and was that the year that you battled with uh, Kevin? That Magnuson? was um, yeah, the year with, with Kevin. Um, so after I won the championship in 2012, um, that's when I actually got my first, uh, my first phone call from, from McLaren um, where you know, they asked me to, to join the, the McLaren Junior program, um, which obviously I did um, because it was kind of my only, you know, my only hope to to, to be tied with a Formula One team and to, you know, to kind of uh, continue my, my progress as well, let's say, because, you know, the higher you go into the racing, the more it starts to cost. And, and again, uh, the Belgian Motorsport Federation, they helped me until, until 20, 2012, 2013, but the budgets were also getting, getting very high for them at the time. So um, actually, you know, it was kind of the perfect moment to, to transition into, into, into McLaren, let's say. And uh, yeah, 2013 was was another good um, good season for um, for me. Um, you know, it was kind of a, a big fight with uh, with Kevin Magnussen, um, who was at the time also a McLaren a McLaren Junior driver. So it was kind of a little bit of an internal competition with us. But he had more experience. He was on his uh, his second year in the in the series, um, and I was on my first year. So. Um, yeah, again, that was a it was a good year. I won my very first race actually in the again. in in the series. <laughs> um, then, yeah, I had a little bit of a of a down moment in the middle of the season where we had a couple of technical failures where Kevin, you know, managed to win a couple of races and and yeah, that kind of uh, lost a little bit of track on the championship. Let's say um, we still managed to get it to to the last round and and ultimately Kevin Kevin won the championship, but. Um, yeah, it was still a, still a good season with a, with a couple of victories. You guys were the two standout performers and the fact that you were involved in the McLaren program as well. So I'm just uh, piecing together the dots now because I'd moved out to Monaco at the end of 2012 and got to know Alex Wurtz at that time. And I remember Alex was involved with the McLaren yeah. project as well. So was he, uh, was he part of getting you on board or did you, maybe you didn't know Alex at that stage like we do now? Oh, definitely. Um, Alex was actually, actually Alex was um, the guy that presented me to to someone at McLaren. Um, it was Matt Bishop, who was the kind of their um, communications um, director. So um, that was actually in 2011 that I first um, got presented to them. I was just kind of sending my reports and, and, and um, yeah, just keeping them informed about all my results I was doing um, until I suddenly got invited to, to, to McLaren. Um, in 2012 um, so yeah Alex was actually the first guy that uh, that presented me to, to to McLaren because he had a lot of connections um, in, in the paddock obviously in what way did they um, scrutinize you then because I can imagine now more than ever it's important in motorsport that you've got to have um, the, the head on your shoulders you've got to be intelligent as well so 
were you aware that they were assessing your every move or what way did they go about it? Was it relaxed or were you almost in a boardroom meeting at first? Um, well, I, it's, it's hard to tell because I was just sending reports and, and they were kind of you know sending me a, a very short answer back, you know, okay, thank you, um, well done, whatever. But, you know, nothing really, nothing really more until I actually got invited to, to the McLaren Technology Center um, which was, yeah, I remember a very special moment at first because it's an amazing building once you first step in. It's, you know, was kind of my first contact with a, or proper contact with a Formula One team. And, and they also had a really good record of, of you know, bringing juniors on board and, and actually you know, helping their careers towards Formula One. Um, so, yeah, when I went in there, I had a meeting with, um, at the time, was Sam Michael and Philip Prue, which were two of the, the kind of the head engineers um, that were running the team um, and we basically had a very formal conversation uh, with them they kind of wanted to understand how I was thinking about a car how I kind of knew about setup directions uh, they just wanted to understand what I you know what I was like what I was thinking like um, and yeah like you said I guess they were assessing me a little bit to to see how I was responding to to certain things. Um, yeah. And do you think back to those early years, um, we probably weren't aware. I remember yeah. the same thing. Then no doubt, whenever the door closed, there would have been the old question. So, what do you think of this guy? Has he got it? Yeah. You, no doubt there there was. Have you ever spoken to to Alex then? Alex worked since then about um, those uh, that first contact with the McLaren. Did you make a good impression? You must have. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, you know, obviously now, um, living in Monaco here, I speak with Alex, uh, Alex very often, um, and he was kind of, you know, one of the one of the earlier ones that that kind of discovered my talent as well when he was um, um, when he was part of the FIA Young Driver Excellence um, program, which which I was a part of as well. Um, so yeah, I think I think he, you know. He felt like I was probably one of the right guys to present to a team. Otherwise, he would have never, he would have never, never done that actually. And um, whenever you're involved with a project like uh, McLaren, you obviously have to begin to think that well, this could become a career. You're starting to aim towards Formula One, but you'd left school. Uh, were you able to live on uh, the kind of funding that you were getting, or was it a tough few years just uh, just getting by? Um, yeah, the beginning was was definitely not easy um, you know, so I went I went to school until I was 18 and then I decided to to you know to really focus everything on, on racing um, because you know, I think the opportunities I was I was getting uh, were once in a lifetime opportunities and and I just wanted to pursue that a hundred percent so yeah the, the first um, you know moments were were definitely not easy because I was you know I kind of had to live at home I didn't really have a have an income at the time until I got with McLaren, which which you know I had a, a little salary uh, when I when I joined them. So um, you know that felt made me feel a bit more comfortable, um, and and yeah, it was a nice feeling to 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 actually get your first uh, first paycheck. Yeah, that's uh, the moment when you begin to realize well, getting a paycheck that means yeah. uh, I'm getting paid to to do a a love, and that's in a, in a way extra motivation then. So stepping uh, up through the categories again, um, GP2, 2014, yeah. that's really well on the way towards Formula One and uh, a critical time in your career. But again, you performed pretty early, didn't you? Yeah, exactly. Um, 
yeah so my yeah, I had two years in GP2 which was 2014 and 15 um, and yeah that was kind of uh, you know guided by by McLaren at the time as well um, you know they made the deals with the teams they they made sure everything was in place um, I was kind of well into the into the McLaren junior program at the time and and you know, doing a lot of simulator work for for them as well I really had a you know a proper kind of team uh, around me let's say to to you know, to prepare me as as much as possible um, for the jump into formula one there was never a guarantee that it was gonna i was gonna race in formula one but they were definitely trying you know trying their best to to um to prepare me as much uh, as much as possible um so yeah gp2 was was then um the closest to to formula one um or you know the series just below formula one um and yeah again i had i had you know, two great years there. I would say <clears throat> they're probably the, the the highlights of my uh, of my career. Um, in twenty fourteen, I finished second in the championship. Um, again, won my first race in 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 the series, um, and yeah. Um, then obviously, you know, after my first year, I I came close to winning it. Just didn't win it. Um, but there was also no opportunities in, in Formula One at the, at the time, so I kind of had to do another season into um, into GP two, um, which actually I think was 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 very good for me because the target was completely different than than the first year. In the first year, no one was really expecting um, anything, whilst in the second year, um, you know, McLaren made it very clear to me that there's only one one option, and it's basically winning the championship. Um, and, and, you know, it was, um, not only winning the championship, but I had to win it in, in, in a proper way. Um, so yeah, obviously adds a lot of, uh, a lot of pressure, but, um, uh, yeah, I managed, I managed to, you know, to, to get the job done, let's say. So I had a, you know, a really good year in 2015. Uh, we broke all the records in, in, in the series, uh, number of pole positions, number of, uh, podiums, victories. Uh, fastest laps, I think, um, yeah, uh, all the records we, we managed to break with um, ART Grand Prix, which uh, which is the team I was uh, I was racing for. So um, yeah, if I look back at that time, that was definitely one of my um, uh, you know, most enjoyable times in in the sport. Let's say I can't believe that you would find that enjoyable whenever <coughs> a team tells you, yeah, yeah. you're expected to to win the championship. That's a given. But uh, that's not going to be enough. What you need to do is dominate the championship. Yeah. And at 23 years of age to keep a cool head and manage to put a, a season together and do exactly that. Because hmm. usually in our game, winning is enough. It doesn't matter if you win by 10 seconds or one tenth yeah. of a second. It's about winning. But that year for you then it wasn't. In order to really impress the bosses and break through, you needed to, to dominate yeah. and stand out. And uh, you stepped up. Yeah, exactly. And then... Um, I think it was a good, you know, learning school for me to to have that kind of, um, you know, people pushing me from from the top. Let's say, um, yeah, I guess after that, when when I finally managed to to win the championship and and you know, kind of done everything that I could do, um, it still wasn't enough to 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 go into Formula One, which uh, which was a very hard one to take at uh, at first because. Um, at the team was um, um, Jensen Button and Fernando Alonso racing, 
Jensen was kind of getting towards the end of his career. They didn't really know what to do with uh, with Jensen at the time. Um, uh, you know, is he going to retire? Do, you know, do they want to replace him by putting me in the car? It was, you know, it was it, it was a tricky time um, because also McLaren were then changing from Mercedes to Honda, which um, you know was a was a big change coming up for the team as well. Um, so yeah, even after winning the championship in, in 2015, um, you know, I did manage to get a seat in Formula One for 2016. So uh, I felt I felt you know really really bad at the time actually because I felt like I really did everything I could um, to to get that seat in Formula One and and yeah then still didn't actually manage to get one. So um, I stayed on with McLaren as a reserve driver in 2016. Um, and I was racing as a side program, was doing a super formula in Japan, which is uh, kind of an equivalent to to uh, to GP2. It was just kind of in a Japanese series, um, which again was uh, yeah something completely kind of off off route, let's say, than than what I was planning, um, because the whole culture, the way everything has been been operated in Japan was was. Uh, was you know completely different than than anything really I, I I'd been used to. Were you having to live out there in Japan between some of the races then? I I wasn't really living there. Um, I was I was definitely spending a lot a lot of time there um, because we had a lot of races um, and then we had a lot of testing as well. Um, I think actually twenty sixteen was probably my busiest year in terms of in terms of traveling because I was going to all the Formula One races so twenty twenty Grand Prix. Um, as a reserve driver, um, and then I was uh, doing all my, you know, my racing in in Japan. So um, I think at some point I spent probably nine weeks in Asia or something with all the, you know, the kind of Asian Formula One races. Then racing in Japan, so I was going back and forward all the all the time. You spoke earlier about the pivotal moment of uh, beating Danny Kvyat in that championship yeah. in Barcelona. It's funny when you look back the how things might have went differently had you not achieved that. And then I think another pivotal moment had to be then um, whenever you were the reserve driver for McLaren. Yeah. And that huge crash of Fernando Alonso in Australia. Yeah. Where then he walked away from it, but he wasn't able to compete in Bahrain. Yeah. So you got the call up. Um, it's one of those that must be tough to kind of deal with because you kind of, oh, yeah, yeah I'm, it's bad for Fernando. Hope he's okay. But yes, I get my opportunity. <laughs> so... Finally, yeah, uh, you got your chance. It's a it's a funny position to be in, uh, being a reserve driver in Formula One because, you know, realistically, when you, when you sign a reserve driver agreement, you actually don't expect to ever step into the car, um, which is which is very strange. Uh, but yeah, Fernando had a had a big accident in um, in uh, Melbourne. It was um, he actually felt fine walking out of the car, so um, no one was really expecting to. Uh, to you know to have to replace him in in Bahrain but then kind of I think when the pressure went down and, and he got back home he really didn't really feel that good turned out he had um, I think he had a broken rib or something or, or something with his rib was uh, was not completely in place and um, yeah I had the call up from the team literally on the on the Thursday before the race in, so you in were Bahrain. already there in Bahrain I, I was not even in Bahrain because I was uh, I was testing in Japan so, um, it, yeah, the whole that whole weekend, my first Formula One Grand Prix was 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 pretty crazy in the end, 
because I was testing in Japan on the on the Wednesday, uh, on the Wednesday Thursday. Um, I got the call on Thursday in the middle of the day. Um, Stoffel, you need to come as soon as possible to to Bahrain. You're going to replace Fernando uh, for the weekend. So I literally jumped on the first plane to to Bahrain, which was an overnight flight. Um, I arrived on Friday morning uh, in yeah in the airport. Uh, went to the hotel, took a quick shower, straight to the circuit. Um, and yeah, I was at the circuit about two hours before the first practice. Um, so, you know, I literally had zero preparation before, before stepping into, into the car. Uh, I remember they actually, all the engineers, they sent me all the, the manuals of the steering wheel, um, kind of operationally what to do in the car as well. So I, I could read that on the plane, but at the same time I had to get some sleep as well. So, um, that wasn't the easiest to manage. Um, I was lucky that actually during the previous years I, I had done a lot of um, a lot of work in the simulator so all the steering wheel buttons that it, it you know it all felt familiar to me but it was still a big shock to actually um, you know sit in the car and, and actually drive out for real for the first time on the, on Friday so uh, yeah um, and that weekend yeah was was really kind of um, a big opportunity for me as well to to again prove to the team that you know I'm the guy that that you guys gotta 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 put in the in the car, um, and yeah, with Jensen next to me who was a who was a world champion, um, I kind of had the perfect uh, the perfect benchmark, um, and yeah, um, it it was it was a good weekend. I think it was all about managing probably expectations, uh, not trying to do too much. Um, we you know had a really good qualifying session um, where I managed to out qualify Jensen, which which probably was you know for the team one of the deciding factors for for the next season uh, what they wanted to do. Um, and we had a great race as well. I managed to score the first point for uh, for the team um, that that season, um, and yeah, also for me on, on my debut race to to score a first point with uh, with McLaren was uh, yeah was a was a great achievement. So. Definitely a, a moment I uh, I will remember forever. That's nuts. The the reserve drivers in Formula One don't actually test uh, the car on track. Uh, yeah. it's, it's absolutely crazy. I can't imagine. I know the simulator. Uh, it's one thing. I've sat in the simulator before and had a little go. The thing is, uh, every time I'm in the simulator, I crash. <laughs> I, I, I get away with it. But you guys, uh, you're driving the simulator and then you're, like you say, driving out pit lane. Suddenly... If you crash, you really crash. It's not that you're yeah. just in the sim, so to hop in and not being prepared the way you had to fly from Japan. Thankfully, the time difference then I guess gained you a few hours because yeah, otherwise you yes, wouldn't. Yeah, I, I got lucky with the direction I had to. I had to fly, so it was an overnight flight. An overnight flight, but I managed to gain back a couple of hours. So uh, um, yeah, that that definitely helped out. And again, like many times in your career, you performed the. Whenever you had to, um, it's not often that a rookie hops into a car, gets points right away. So that's pretty much what, like you said, sealed the deal for your Formula One uh, future. Yeah. So immediately after that race, uh, did you have a manager looking after you to, to, to start to talk for next year, or how were things set up? Um, at the time, I was kind of in a in a, in a transition phase, so it it was pretty difficult for me, for me as well, um, to 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 manage the situation and the negotiations with uh, with um, with the team. Um, you know, at some point, 
um, it kind of became clear that they wanted to put me in the car. So there was a lot of negotiations going on. I had a, you know, I had a lawyer uh, taking care of me at the, at the time. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I was fairly new as well to negotiating such a big, big deals, let's say. And, and, um, you know, I got some help from, from a few people that kind of directed me in, into, into the right place, um, to make sure I had the, you know, I had the right people, people around me, let's say. Um, so yeah, towards uh, the end of 2016 uh, or middle of 2016, um, you know, the team made a decision to, uh, to put me in the car for next year. Um, again, yeah, a pretty special moment because, you know, all you've been working for, all you've been, been dreaming of your whole career was to, was to become a Formula One driver. And, and there's not a lot of people that, you know, that ever had the opportunity to, to, to get there. So, um, I was, yeah, I was obviously very proud of, um, of, of, of that moment. And at that time in Belgium, then how were the media? I'm sure there must've been a lot of comparisons to Jackie X. Is this her? Or next Jackie X, no doubt. That's always the case, isn't it? They always did it for us. Uh, for British Irish riders, it was always ah, who's going to be the next Barry Sheen. So, how many times did you hear that at that stage? Yeah, it was definitely you know definitely big in Belgium at at the time because um, you know there hadn't been um, a proper Formula One driver for you know for for a long time. Um, Jackie, obviously, one of the most successful in in the sport, um, and then yeah, kind of me coming up. Um, which was, you know, which was gaining a lot of traction in, in Belgium, let's say, because motorsport in general was, uh, was, was never really been followed that much, but that definitely changed, um, the view a little bit in, in Belgium, let's say it was always cycling, always, uh, uh, football that was, uh, you know, taking all the, all the headlines, let's say. Um, but yeah, getting, getting into Formula One definitely, uh, definitely, um, you know, caught a lot of headlines. Well, uh, thanks for your time there, Stoffel. Um, that was pretty cool, and English isn't a problem for you. I think uh, <laughs> no, you speak perfectly. It was okay. And now I think uh, I don't know too many Belgians, uh, but both yourself and uh, Thierry Neville, both uh, yeah. really great guys. Um, hopefully get a chance to interview Thierry in future as well. But uh, it's been cool. Um, enjoy your last yeah. few weeks now before your season begins. Uh, I think you deserve a beer or two and yeah, back thanks, in the Yeah, thanks Eugene. Yeah, it was great. Thank you.